New Zealand's new government, Australian defense updates, COP28, and more. Today is Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. And welcome back to Pacific Airwaves, a podcast on the Pacific Islands from the Southeast Asia Program and the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative at CSIS. I'm Monica Sato with my co-host, Andreka Natalegawa. Andreka, we're about to go on break. How are you spending your holidays? Well, I can't wait to go home, see my family, and get into a snowball fight. That's weirdly wholesome, Andreka. You know, there's nothing like the thwop of a snowball to announce holiday cheer. Well, back home in the Philippines, we start announcing Christmas cheer on the first day of September. And while we don't get any snow, we have our own Christmas traditions. My family always attends Simbangabe, which are early morning masses that are held leading up to Christmas. There's also Noche Buena, where we feast exactly at midnight on Christmas, and there's always Lechon. Okay, okay. Before we get too into the holiday spirit and forget all about work, let's dive into the episode, shall we? You're absolutely right. Well, there's definitely no snow for Christmas in Wellington, where the National Party's Christopher Luxon was sworn in as New Zealand's Prime Minister on November 26th. His Deputy Prime Minister will be Winston Peters of New Zealand First. Peters will be replaced after 18 months by the ACT Party's David Seymour. The coalition pledged to cut taxes, expand the police force, reduce the public service, and repeal a law that would make selling tobacco illegal. Meanwhile, thousands of protesters are opposing the new government's plan to reduce the official use of the Maori language and reinterpret the Treaty of Waitangi. The Treaty of Waitangi is New Zealand's founding document and the basis for claims of Maori sovereignty. In Parliament, members of the Maori Party protested by swearing allegiance to their grandchildren before making the obligatory oath of allegiance to King Charles. But Seymour, who has Maori heritage, questions whether continuing the policies of previous governments would lead to New Zealanders having different rights based on ancestry. On the foreign policy front, the new government seems to be building on the previous government's trajectory. Peters received the foreign ministry portfolio, and he says he will guide New Zealand to be more closely aligned with its security partners. Speaking of security, Australia's been making some moves in the defense sector. Following the U.S.'s lead, Australia conducted its first joint sea and air patrols with the Philippines in the South China Sea on November 24th. Philippine President Bongbong Marcos said that the patrols manifest a growing and deepening partnership between the two countries. Growing and deepening. I like it. Meanwhile, rebounding would be a good word to describe Australia's relationship with France. The two countries signed a deal this month that will allow their military personnel to use each other's bases in the Indo-Pacific. Monica, can you remember what France was saying about Australia just two years ago? Yes, a stab in the back. That's what AUKUS was to France. But now Australia and France have made up, and AUKUS remains alive and well. In fact, AUKUS defense ministers met on December 1st and announced some important commitments on Pillar 2 of the agreement. That's the part of AUKUS that focuses on sharing and developing advanced technologies. One example of a new initiative is a series of experiments and exercises with maritime autonomous systems. The partners also said that they will deploy common AI algorithms on maritime patrol aircraft to process big data from each country's sonobuoys. There's a lot more that they announced related to undersea vehicles, quantum navigation, deep space radar, the list goes on. Australia's list of Pacific security deals grew by one when it signed an agreement with Papua New Guinea on December 7th. The agreement provides for consultations if either side feels that it's facing direct or regional security threats. Australia will provide PNG with $130 million in security aid over four years. And the agreement allows PNG to recruit Australian police officers as it suffers from a violent crime wave. Australia is not the only power expanding security cooperation with Pacific countries. 
On December 8th, China hosted law enforcement and security officials from the Pacific for a dialogue on capacity building and cooperation. Three ministers attended, which is an increase from only one last year. There were no agreements announced, but China's public security minister, Wang Shouhong, said China is willing to increase cooperation. For many Pacific countries, climate change is just as urgent as security issues. Pacific leaders at COP28 launched the Unlocking Blue Pacific Prosperity Initiative, which aims to protect almost a third of the region's oceans. They hope the initiative will attract climate finance from philanthropic and private sector organizations that they can use on their own terms. The Global Environmental Facility and the Bezos Earth Fund were quick to get behind the initiative. Collectively, they announced a total of $225 million in funding which is already more than the $200 million that is currently spent on climate adaptation in the Pacific each year. While COP28 had to go into overtime, when states were divided on the final language regarding phasing out fossil fuels, the talks ended in a historic deal that committed the world to transition away from all fossil fuels for the first time. However, some Pacific nations are still unhappy with the outcome. Anne Rasmussen, the lead negotiator for Samoa, warned that the clause of shifting away from fossil fuels focuses exclusively on energy systems rather than the wider economy. I'm sure climate change was on many Marshallese voters' minds as the country held parliamentary elections. Initial results show that a third of the parliamentary seats could change, but we'll need to wait for absentee votes to be counted to know the final numbers. This vote will determine the makeup of the government that will allocate a new $700 million fund created by the U.S. Marshall Islands Compact Renewal. Another big recipient of superpower aid in the Pacific recently has been Kiribati, which received $161 million since switching diplomatic recognition from Taiwan to China, according to the Institute aid data. This includes a $115 million loan to Kiribati, Tuna Fishing Company, which is a joint venture of a Chinese company and the government of Kiribati. To put that in context, that's 50% of Kiribati's GDP. And that's a wrap for 2023. We'll be back in January with more important updates from the region. Until then, happy holidays. As always, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pacific Airwaves. We appreciate all your support this past year. Let us know what you think of our coverage by writing to our main email at searadio at csis.org. If you're not following us already, please subscribe or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. Our producer is Marla Hiller. Special thanks to our intern, Josiah Gottfried, for his assistance with this episode. I'm Monica Sato. And I'm Andreka Natalagawa. And we'll see you in 2024 for more of Pacific Airwaves.